my take-home message is, if I want anyone to remember anything, is that uh, precision feeding can decrease environmental impact, can decrease feed costs by 12%, and uh, it, it can uh, help us to have new generations of producers in the field. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Swine It Podcast Show Canada is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like... Our nutrition group includes four companies. Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill... Farmhouse and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada. Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Veterinary Services, and Demeter Services Veterinaries. Welcome to the Swinet Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. The Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners Nutrition Group offer the full range of nutritional product based on extensive research and developments and a solid team of experts all across Canada. Our objective is to provide cost-effective solutions, innovation, and support to producer from the entire Canadian swine industry. Hello, everyone. My name is John Patience, and I'm the host for today's podcast, in which we're going to discuss precision feeding of row finished swine. And I'm delighted that, uh, that we have a particularly uh, capable and experienced uh, guest with us today to talk about this subject. And her name is Dr. Aline Remus, and she's with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Sherbrooke, Quebec. So welcome, Aline. Thank you for having me, John. Very well. Uh, certainly am delighted to have you join us today. I've seen your name around uh so much in the last few years um but i've never actually had a chance to meet you so this is uh this is a real pleasure and honor for me uh you clearly have some wonderful training and skills that you're working on i love the research that you're involved in uh things like modeling i'm a huge fan of modeling but many people that are listening today may not be familiar with your background and your current research so perhaps you could uh, briefly explain your your background and your experience in swine nutrition. Sure, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So I didn't end up here by coincidence. My One of our first memories is in the pairing with my dad. So we didn't synchronize the cycle that time. So I would be with them during the night while they, they watch it. Or they would make a bed for me in the corridor and I'll be there. I remember doing that when I was part five, six, you know. So my first real job was taking care of the, the maternity and I was 12 years old. So I I would take care of uh, applying iron and the animals, the castration, everything that you can imagine that going on there. So I really grew up in that, uh, in that you know, that environment. And I really, uh, every time that we're going to do something new, I always think in what my dad would think. So what the producer would be. And when I was maybe 14, I moved out. Uh, I went to a study in a technical school. Uh, was 120 boys and five girls. And I was one of the five girls who graduated from there. 
And by that time, I was convinced that I wanted to go to veterinary school. So I did my final internship and with a vet. I was working with large animals, especially dairy cows. And I was miserable. I was really miserable. And she, I also remember she telling me, you know, people have this idea that being a vet is this romantic thing. And I think what you want is to see happy animals, right? And I was like, yeah, it's exactly what I want to do. And she's like, well, you should be an animal size then. And it was, it's how I ended up doing my undergrad in animal science. I uh, went to uh, university in the south of Brazil. I specialized in non-ruminant nutrition there. And uh, I started working as an undergrad in modeling group with uh, Dr. Lovato, who introduced me to Dr. Pomar. And as an undergrad, I started my first projects with Dr. Pomar. And I remember uh, the first presentations that I saw in precision feeding, I I said, this guy is, he had no idea what this big production is. We can never do that. How are we going to feed individual animals? And by the end of the presentation, he had convinced me that is what I wanted to do for my master and for my PhD. So I continued working my undergrad. Uh, I did my master in uh, Sao Paulo University. Uh, I worked with methionine requirements for precision fat things. I also did some modeling uh, that time. And when, when I finished my master, I found some very peculiar results in terms of methionine requirements. And I came up to Candido during my internship here in, in Agri-Food Canada, and I told him, you know, the precision feeding system doesn't work like the phase feeding system, and you have different methionine requirements. And his first reaction was like, cannot be, must be something wrong. So come here, come to Canada, do your PhD here, and let's work in amino acid requirements for um, for precision feeding. So I did my PhD in precision feeding, always comparing with group phase feeding. And by my, the end of my PhD, uh, what came out was that precision fed pigs really have different requirements in terms of amino acid profiles than phase fed pigs. Uh, mainly because they're not doing the same thing with the amino acids as the group fat pigs. So I decided to pursue a postdoc in this area. I went to the Department of Biology of the University of Sherbrooke, and I decided to go for a nutrigenomics approach. So I uh, wrote down some grants with Candido, and we went to look uh, how pigs that have the same body weight, the same genetic background, how they're using glucose. Uh, we had a PhD student working on it, a very brilliant guy. And we and I did uh, the amino acid trial with label violin to try and understand what was going on with these animals. So I have been in and out uh, this field uh, for 10 years now. And I was just hired as a permanent researcher in the last fall here in Agriculture Canada to to replace uh, Dr. Pomar, so big shows to fill. <laughs> and that's pretty much my background. Great. Well, thank you very much uh, for that, Aline. And, and um, you're, I'm noting that you're one of the increasing number of, of uh, students who are coming from Brazil who have uh, 
uh, received some of their training or all of their training in Brazil, and they're now establishing themselves in careers in Canada, the United States, and and beyond. Um, and I, I, that must be showing a, a maturation of uh, education and research that's going on in Brazil compared to maybe ten or fifteen years ago. So um, that that uh, points to an exciting future as well. That that by itself. So. Thank you very much for that, but let's get into the topic at hand, um, which is precision feeding. So let's start out by, Aline, uh, uh, can you please define for us uh, what precision feeding really is in your mind? So precision feeding is the act of feeding daily tailored diets for a small group of animals or for an individual animal. When we're talking about small group of animals, I'm talking about being able, for example, to tailor the diets for each pen. So you have, I don't know, 200 pens and you can make 200 diets every day. So every day you can change the diet for each one of these pens. When I'm talking about individual precision feeding, I'm talking about formulating a diet that meets the requirements or closely meets the requirements of each pig every day. So Normally, when I say that, people say, well, you probably need a lot of feeds to do that. It's very difficult to put that in the field. But what we do is to actually formulate two diets. One that is very, two feeds actually, that will, sorry. Here is very important to be precise, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we formulate two feeds. A, a one that is very concentrated in, in nutrients. Uh, Actually, when when I say nutrients, I'm talking especially uh, amino acids, uh, calcium, and phosphorus. Uh, we have not worked with microminerals. We have not uh, changed uh, the energy of the diet. So, just keep in mind amino acids and calcium, and phosphorus. And we formulate this concentrated diet for the most demanding peak in the first day of growth. And we have a very uh, low concentration, low density diet that is formulated for the least um, demanding pig on the last day of growth. And every day we use a model. So our model, it captures real-time feeding take and real-time body weight of these animals until midnight yesterday. Let's say we have feeders, equipments that can capture this information. And then they, they capture the data until midnight. And then we do a very short prediction within the day. How much is the feeding take that respect for this animal today and how much is the growth of this animal for one day? So our window of prediction is very short, which means that's much easier to predict than if we will do like a over time prediction when when we start to have a lot of problems uh, modeling that growth. And uh, when we do that, we we then know which is the requirement in lysine for each one of the amino uh, for each one of the feeds, and by relationship we we provide all the other amino acids in the diet for each one of the feeds. Okay, that's good. That's a great start, and and it's brought up a question in my mind, Aline, as you were describing there, that. You're feeding the one way to apply this commercially would be to ha just have two diets. You don't need 20 diets. You just have two diets and you blend them together relative to the requirement of the specific pigs you're feeding, whether it's an individual pig or 
a pen of pigs or a group of pigs. So that makes sense. And then you said that the diets, the two diets would differ in their amino acid concentration. They would differ perhaps in their calcium and phosphorus uh, concentration, that they would not change in their energy concentration and would not change in vitamins and trace minerals. Is that correct? So that raises a technical question in my mind, which I've wondered about for a long, long time. If we're feeding two pigs that differ in their protein accretion rate and their protein to lipid ratio, uh, and so their amino acid requirements are different because they're growing faster or slower, does the energy requirement stay the same or does it differ because I'm assuming that the slower growing pig eats less feed, not always, but generally. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious why the energy concentration stays the same when everything else is, uh, is different. That's a fantastic question. Uh, the, and the short answer is just because we didn't get there yet. But that's oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah. We're, we're still in baby steps, but that is uh, one of our coming projects is actually to try and manipulate this, this energy of the diet and see if we can uh, actually manipulate the growth of the animals. Because we have seen that when we change the, the amino acid content of the diet, we can uh, change uh, different proteins uh, in the body. So we are also wondering, can we manipulate these animals to have a different growth? Uh, we haven't seen much of difference in lipid deposition when we're using precision feeding because, as you say, when, when we use precision feeding, we are actually decreasing, uh, depending what is your standard, we're sometimes decreasing by 40% the protein in the diet. So you could think in a low protein diet and what we normally see is fat deposition in those cases, right? But we, we, we haven't seen much of that. When we arrive to the very late pigs, and when I say very late pigs is 130 to 150 kilos, you start to see this a little bit more, that the precision fat pigs tend to be a little bit more fat, but it's still not much as you would expect. And uh, I I don't have the answer to you how we will play yet with this this diet, but we'll be changing uh, the amino acid energy ratios of these diets and trying and adjust for these animals. Yeah. In other words, I need to be more patient. <laughs> yes, doctor, patient. <laughs> I want, um, but I asked you that question um, uh, in part, Aline, because the nature of the research you're doing, you're doing work with stable isotope work, you're doing proteomic work that if anybody was in a position to answer that question, right, you have the research tools to do that. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on your research going forward to, uh, to see uh, what findings that you, you have there. So thank you very much for that. But let's move on then. And um, uh, let's talk about some of your specific research. And, and some of your recent findings or some of the findings that you think are most significant that you think our audience would be most interested in? So I will start, uh, as you said that you're a big fan of modeling, I will start by the modeling work because I think it's where we, we're probably missing a little bit of people working in this field. Uh, we have 
discuss this a little bit. But one of the things that we we have uh, noticed is to the precision feeding, you have to use models that are really developed for that end. So we have compared, for example, trying to use the NRC model to do precision feeding in growing finishing pigs versus our precision fed model, or even the model of the Brazilian tables. And we compared to see what would happen. And traditional models will always overestimate the average pig because they're, they're calibrate to have a safety margin. They're calibrate for populations. So if you try and do precision uh, feeding, yes. So if you try and do precision feeding with the NRC models, you always will overestimate your average pig by 15%. So you have to be very careful with that. Uh, you may and you may try and adjust that model to do multi-phase feeding because it's when we're working, instead of working with the average pig, we're working with 80% of our population are estimate. In, in multi-phase feeding, what we do is we take the average pig plus 15%, and then we consider that by doing that, we are feeding more or less 80% of our population according to their requirements. We're missing uh, 20% of this population, but it would be too expensive, actually, to try and feed all our pigs to the requirements in the multi-phase feeding system where we're feeding a broom. Yeah, excuse me, Alien. I think that was something you said there was really important, and I think would be of interest, certainly of interest to me. Um, and that was if if you feed, if you formulate your diet, so say your conventional feeding right right now, and if you define your requirement to be approximately 15% above what the defined requirement is, um, that will catch, uh, you said about 80% of the pigs in the population. Um, so, Okay, so that that's a question that comes up so often, right? And when feed prices are high and market prices are low, which pig do I feed, right? Or when feed prices are low and market prices are high, which pig do I feed? So that so requirement plus fifteen percent catches eighty percent of the pigs. I think that's a that's a good thumb rule for us to to understand, irrespective of precision feeding. Yeah, but you you should be careful because if you're taking, for example, the NRC model. The average is already that, so you should you should be feeding eighty percent of your population to the requirement. Uh, if you're... with the existing NRC yeah. model, gotcha. Or take, okay. If you have no sanitary challenge in your barn, so we're talking like in a very good condition sanitary barn where we don't have stress, we don't have challenge. Uh, you should be getting around 80% of that population. Very good. Okay. Sorry to interrupt, but that was a good point I just wanted to emphasize. So please continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. And uh, so one of the things that we have noticed is uh, if you try and do individual precision fitting with the NRC model with the Brazilian tables, you will be overfitting your population. You'll be very safe, but you're not going to save as much as in costs uh when when we we look for the precision feeding model versus a three-phase feeding system what we see is a decreasing feeding costs by 12 percent so in canadian dollars the time that we did that calculation which was uh 2015 
seen, I think, was eight to twelve dollars per pig. So looking to the the costs today that we have, uh, you could probably be more towards the twelve dollars per pig saving in in feed. And uh, this will also decrease a lot the, the environmental costs. So I think that was a very good take on that one. Uh, so how which animal you feed, where you're feeding your animal tells you a lot. Um, another point is we we have shown that the, the threonine and methionine ratios for precision fed pigs are slightly above uh, those that we normally use for for conventional feeding. Uh, this happened because when when we are doing precision feeding, we're decreasing lysine by some, but depending the phase feeding, we're decreasing some seventeen to twenty seven percent lysine in the diet. And by formulating using the ideal protein ratio, we're also decreasing all the other amino acids in the same proportion. And when I say ideal protein profile, we should be putting this in quotes because it depends what you're looking for. So in the precision feeding, we have seen that we can decrease lysine by 27% in relation to the phase feeding without any problems, but you cannot decrease in the same amount of the threatening lysine. You have to be a bit more conservative with these amino acids. So in the end, you will reduce also threatening and lysine in relation to what we give to the group phase feeding, but it will be less than the amount of lysine that we're reducing. So but by the end, we have different ratios. So when you're applying this to the field, you should be uh, very careful which ratios you're using. And when I'm talking about amino acid ratios, I'm not talking about the NRC ratios. I'm talking about the ERA ratios that are already higher. So if you think uh, the ERA ratio, the lysine requirement for 25 kilopigs is 65, while the NRC is 60. So in the ideal, in the, in the precision feeding system, you should be going above 65 relationship training to lysine if you're bringing the system to the field. Okay. That, okay. that, that makes sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So uh, that is one of our, our take homes. Um, another one that, uh, that that's uh, not, uh, I'm not hiding is one of my favorites. Is a study of uh, Dr. Salgado. He did his PhD on that, and we try to understand why finishing pigs have different fat depositions. Why we have pigs that have the same genetic, the same potential of growth. They have the same weight when we start the trial. We feed them the exactly same diet, but they don't respond equally to the same diet. So what they're doing with that? So we labeled glucose, we fed these animals uh, with, uh, with uh, enough glucose only, and we injected glucose, a bolus of glucose in this, labeled glucose in these animals, and then we study how much lipids each one of these animals were depositing, and how was the, the gene machinery working behind it. And what we have seen is that we have our pigs, are finishing pigs, we're talking pigs above 90 kilograms of body weight. Uh, they have different body conditions because they have difference of insulin sensitivity. So they, they have the same genetics, 
but their metabolism is not working equally. And when I repeat this experiment and I labeled valine and I looked at animals, a high protein deposition pig has a 40% greater insulin uh, uh, sensibility than an animal that has low protein deposition. And they're receiving the same thing. They're all equal. And we did with males and females. So two trials different. Uh, we use different terms to select these animals. So we see that they are using uh, differently these nutrients. And when we look at what is happening behind of that, so we did a transcriptomic study, and we have seen that for low-protein uh, deposition pigs, they they had uh, genes related to oxidative stress, uh, immune response. Uh, so all these things that we know that in the background are taking energy away of these animals, are taking uh, amino acids uh, away from the protein synthesis and deposition, and they are using for other things. So that's very interesting. And we are trying to see how we integrate all that in our model to do what we now are aiming to do, that is precision nutrition instead of precision feeding where we go and try to modulate the growth of these animals to have more homogeneous carcass in the end. Uh, carcass that have a greater uh, protein content, uh, a greater value to the market, uh, maybe modulate the growth of these animals. We know that there are some markets that like to have a little bit more of a fat in the middle of the muscles, intramuscular fat, uh, while other markets like very leanly. So how can we try and modulate the growth of these animals? And more than that, uh, how can we actually help the animals when they're in a bad situation? Um, one thing that our, our lab is working and will be working then in the next five years is early disease detection. Uh, when we are working with the precision feeding system, we have real-time uh feeding behavior and feeding take of these animals. So we normally can see uh, that an animal is getting sick two to three days before he has any clinical symptoms. So before he has a fever or anything, he changes the way he, not only the amount, but the behavior itself. So we're trying to develop uh, an algorithm in collaboration with the University of Wales uh, to predict when these animals will be sick. And uh, this could help us to isolate the, the first animals that are that sick. If we can detect them, we can isolate them. We can save a lot of costs because of giving antibiotics to all the animals. We'll be only giving antibiotics for those animals that need, right? So we avoid that this disease is spreading uh, in our barn and causing that, that nightmare that is... Uh, <laughs> the contagion that happens, um, and I have some colleagues that also been that have been working um, when the animal is sick. Which which are uh, the, the 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 techniques that we can use? Which are how we can modify the diet to help these animals to get better? So we're talking about uh, target treatment, which means that we identify early these animals getting sick, and then we already modify their diets. Um, and this modification can be amino acids, functional amino acids can be 
maybe we need to introduce a medicated feed only for those animals so the feed can detect each feeder sorry can detect each one of the animals and provide uh, a treated feed only for the animals that need solid yeah that yeah that what what what's going through my mind as you're describing some of your research Aline, is that um uh the work that you're doing in order to enhance your capabilities in precision feeding gives us just really uh, enhanced understanding of normal metabolism or even metabolism under less normal conditions. So, for example, the work on glucose utilization and insulin sensitivity will help us to better understand energy utilization in the pig, which obviously has huge financial implications. So, um, so that's, you know, it, like so many areas of endeavor, the uh, the new knowledge that comes out uh, on the side, so to speak, is valuable as much as maybe the original intent, and that's the joy of science. But before we leave this, and and uh, uh, and you've given some great examples of some of the work you're doing, Elaine, can you help us to understand a little bit about the environmental implications of what uh, of what you're doing at Sherbrooke? Uh, not. Precision feeding can help us to decrease uh, crude protein on the diet, phosphorus, uh, and can also help us to decrease the lysine in the diet. And by better adjusting this these diets, they need to the each one of the animals. We can reduce this the protein intake by by forty percent and discretion more or less in the same amount. So we have a, a reduction in nitrogen discretion that is. Phenomenal, actually, if you're thinking 40% nitrogen discretion, discretion uh, reduction. Uh, we have similar numbers in phosphorus, but phosphorus uh, is, is a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Leternal Motumini, here from the University of Laval that works on it. And she'll tell you that phosphorus is a little bit more complicated than that because there is a depletion repletion mechanism. So I'm not going to get this part. But uh, we can decrease the environmental impact related to nitrogen expression, uh, phosphorus expression. But we also can decrease CO2, the, the carbon emission. Uh, when we look, we, we did a life cycle assessment and we use uh, the Quebec scenario. Um, and that be aware, every time that you're doing a life cycle assessment, your assessment is only as good as your scenario. So... Uh, I can only infer for what we would see here in Quebec uh, in a case where the corn is produced here, the soybean is produced here, and the wheat is produced here. Uh, but if we would be bringing part of this materials from the Midwest, we'll be seeing uh, Midwest from the United States. We'll see similar results because the impact is very close. But uh, we'll... We have seen a reduction in carbon emissions by 5%. We have seen a reduction in eutrophication and eutrophication by 17%, uh, which is uh, quite impressive because not really when we're working with pig productions, there is very little that we can do to reduce our CO2 emissions or carbon emissions because it is a system that normally is, is quite good in terms of carbon emission, right? We don't have huge methane emission or anything. 
But one of the boundaries problems that we have seen with our system is that most of the life cycle assessments, uh, they do not account for spreading the manure. They account when we arrive the manure in the field and we put there. But all the emissions that come out after are not accounted. So if we, uh, in the coming steps, we're accounting for these emissions and we expect that the contribution to reduce um, carbon emission, emissions of the precision system, uh, precision feeding system will be even bigger than what we're seeing. Um, we are uh, quite confident that we can go uh, closer to 10% of uh, carbon emissions decrease in the, in the system. And uh, another thing to, to add is that the Quebec scenario is already very low emissions. So if we're talking, um, if we're applying the same system in Europe, you'd see an even, even bigger reduction in, in environmental impact because normally, uh, while here in Quebec, we see a 2.2 CO2 equivalents per kilogram of pork. In, in Europe, you're going to see 3.4, 3.5. So our Canadian systems are quite good. <laughs> They're already quite environmentally friendly because most of our products come from here from Canada or come from the United States. So our CO2 emissions are not that high uh, during winter uh, or we don't have so much emissions from the, from the fields or from the manure. So... It's already a system that is quite good on that. Uh, we have a high efficiency. Uh, normally, we have uh, very good feed efficiency. So, this for me, seeing a five percent. I know that many people were expecting more, but honestly, we have a five percent CO two emission in a system that is already good uh, with the knowledge that we have today. Uh, I can't wait to see what we can do in 10 years. I cannot with the knowledge that we acquire. And uh, yeah, so I'm very excited for what is to come. Right on. I, and I can understand why. Uh, so let's maybe, it's, unfortunately, our time has moved on. Um, and um, perhaps we could wrap it up with what you think are some of the important take-home messages uh, both of what you've maybe talked about today, but also just generally in the whole area of precision feeding of growth finished pigs, Ellie. So uh, first, one of the limitations that we have today is the availability of equipment. So that we, we have to work closely with our industry partners to bring this to the field. Uh, we have to show them the advantage. You will have to, to, to work with them to make this a reality. Um, for the producers, I think one of the things that has scared them the most is the amount of technology that is involved on that. But I want to remember them that the new generations of swine producers, they are born with cell phones in their hands. And I think they will welcome uh, the, the, a, a different way to, to produce pigs, a, a way that is closer to their abilities. Uh, and I think will help the producers to deal a lot with the problems of manpower that we're having. But to to be able to do that, what we need on is train ca ca like capable people trained. 
uh, us in the research center universities, we have to be training our students to have a different look at nutrition, to be ready to go to the field and implement this, this, this uh, types of technologies, to have um, um, a different view of how we feed animals and stop just thinking in the average pig. We have to start to look to the outliers. We have to start to look why we have so much variability in our population and how we can feed these animals in a way that we're decreasing costs for the producers, in a way that we're decreasing environmental impact, but that is still uh, welfare acceptable for our animals, right? So my take-home message, if I want anyone to remember anything, is that uh, precision feeding can decrease the environmental impact can decrease feed costs by 12%. And uh, it it can uh, help us to have new generations of producers in the field. Great. Well, that's, uh, that's quite, a, quite a, um, an opportunity that presents itself before us and uh, underscores how important that the research that you're doing in Sherbrooke is in terms of the future of the pig industry. So um, thank you very much. Uh, so uh, t- today we've had the pleasure of uh, talking with Dr. Aline Remus from uh, Sherbrooke from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada at the, at the research center there uh, and talking about precision feeding and growth finished pigs. I'm John Patience and have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.